Thank you, Janet Lee. Wow. And it's written, and suddenly there came the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. Wow. I certainly can feel it when you're playing those songs the way you do. God bless you, Janet. And hello out there, everybody. So this is number 15, The War of the Gods. Interpretation of the lost book of the War of the Gods. And there is so much to be covered and so much to be said. And if it would be God's will, that I could get this all in and we could finish this series, if it would be God's will, because it is truly a masterful subject and an awesome, absolutely, almost unbelievable revelation. Well, <clears throat> it all started way back, way back when three groups of angels came to this galaxy area, and they decided to create a new planet. And there was a huge star called Astrodon. And I don't know that there's ever been a star as huge, as so deep of, of magnitude as Astrodon. And it, it was capable of all kinds of uh, materializations because it had in it a great variety of metals, of energies, gases. And so these angels decided that this star was too massive and too bright too hot to remain as it was in this galaxy because it overshone everything. And uh, you could not see the stars of the heaven, even at night, because of Astrodon. Astrodon didn't fit into the ultimate plan. So from far, far, far out into space, they begin to fire incredibly advanced rays. Now, someone may say, this isn't in the Bible. Well, yes, it is. I don't have the time to show it to you today. But those astrodons broke up. They broke up. I call them astrodons because astrodons had a lot of other planets and stars that were subject to it. It wasn't a black hole. It was a living, a living aspect of, of the opposite of what a black hole was. But it still had incredible attraction power. Tremendous gravitational control. And it began to break up from these, these rays. 
fired by the three groups of angels. The seraphim under Michael. The cherubim under Gabriel. And the ophanim under Yaviel. And from out of that great explosion of Astrodon came the sun, the moon, and the planet Earth, and the solar system. But the vers versifulness of Astrodon was so great that different parts of that great star had an array of, of different kinds of elements. They were not equally spread throughout the whole nation. So if one part of Astrodon became a part of some plot or aspect of the solar system, there could be a differentiation between one part to another part of those planets and even asteroids that filled the solar system. Well, if we were to go back before then, we would have to go back to planet seven. Not only planet seven, but to universe seven. And that was the universe that pre preceded this universe that we now live in, which is universe eight. And it had finished its course. And just like universe eight will do, that universe had begun to draw together until it entered into ultimate density. The density is so tremendous and so great that there is not presently a human vocabulary nor a math to describe it. After eons and eons and eternities of time, in another world far away called the kingdom of God, kingdom, D-O-M, king's domain, also called the heaven of heavens, or the first domain. There came to be the time for the birth of new creations, for the making of new souls, spirit souls. And the angels must go out. But first, the Bible, as it tells and prophesies in several places, God began to stretch out the heavens. The very inference is significant. Something that is stretched out is being stretched out from something that is much more receded. Thus your density. And it's stretched out and stretched out and stretched out and begins to be a new universe, 
Universe 8. The seraphim came as judges. That was their actor's theatron role for the mission. The cherubims were to be the watchers. Later there came to be good watchers and bad watchers. Bad watchers didn't, were not necessarily seraphims, but of course, mostly they were, they were seraphims. Now, pardon me, they were cherubims. And then the ophanims, who were the actual creators. Yaviel and 144,000 of his key mind creators went into the area of the physical earth to spirit the creations. The leader of the cherubims decided that there needed to be an assistant because Yaviel had yet not yet selected a second in command who was the second in command as an archangel. So there was no other archangel like with the seraphims and the cherubims. So it was suggested that Lucifer, who was the second in command to Gabriel, Lord of the host of the cherubim, should go and for the temporary period of time during the creation, set in the seat called the Morning Star and be there to oversee and to help the angels that were without their Lord of Hosts, Yaviel, who was spiriting creation in the earthly realms. Well, by now you should know the story. Lucifer wanted to be greater than ever before. He wanted to be more like God. He wanted to be more righteous. He wanted to be more spiritual than anyone else. And he conceived a plan how to do it. But it was not the will of God nor the plan that God would have ever had for Lucifer. Ultimately, out of it, there came a tremendous rebellion. That rebellion is not yet settled, will not be settled until the white throne judgment. The white throne judgment is not going to happen for a long, long time because according to the 105th chapter of Psalms. There's a thousand generations, and according to the 90th chapter of Psalms, a generation is a life generation, not a family generation, but a life generation, 70 to 80,000 years. Consequently, in that 70 to 80,000 years, times a thousand, 
we have 70 to 80,000 generation years. It's a long time, and we're a long ways from coming to it. Many, many people out there that are so dug into the rituals of traditional religion will find it quite complicated to believe. But the truth is the truth, and the facts of reality are the facts of reality. And the manifester has come to bring you this truth. And the very word manifest or manifester means to bring to light. So there are many things out there that are, are hidden secrets. They are covered like it speaks of the glass darkly. This darkness is a kind of invisibility that you cannot see. Even within the greatest book ever written, the Bible, there is present this invisibility called darkness, like the darkness of the glass. But now, God has chosen, it is time for the seven thunders that have been uttered, that have sounded more like noise than anything else, to begin to be understood. Not necessarily to the entire masses of the world, not to begin with, because the Bible says that first will come the former rain. The former rain comes to those who will be the leaders and the ministers and will be the people who are to be the gladstones that stand out there and are part of this former rain. On the Pentecost time, there was a little dab of the former rain given moderately, the Bible says, Joe 2.23. Behold, I give you the former rain moderately, and I will cause to come down in the first month the former and the latter rain. We think a month is 30 days, but not when you're talking in the ratios of God and in the divine language of God. And so this knowledge of the Lord that Hosea says is to cover the earth and other prophets, likewise, have said. It's on the way. It's being spoken. It's being revealed. The seven thunders, the Bible says, were first to be sealed up, and they were. And then later, it says, they were to be opened and revealed to his servants, the prophets. And that is exactly what is going on. And now this word is coming out, and it is a shocking revolution of insight. It is a momentous revelation. There is a mighty rushing of the winds. There is a glorious shining of the magnitudes of the light that shines from above. But the rebellion has given Lucifer a name, chief, chief person, chief adversary. He's become an adversary. And in his statements that we've shared with you, 
he claims that was forced on him in order to in order to procure witnesses that were proved to not be biased and that any witness that could be tempted could be proved to not be a worthy person of a worthy testimony. And so it's all going on. And the Bible tells us something that is very, very difficult for the average person on Main Street to understand. Very, very difficult to actually even believe. But it is the Word of God. And it is in Ephesians. And we just keep mentioning this because it is a major, major understanding that must be meshed into the minds of those who will be overcomers. In Ephesians 6.12 it says, For we, talking about people who believe, and even the human masses, wrestle not against flesh and blood. You can play the game if you want to. And people do all the time. Thinking that somehow if they kill one another, or kill anyone who does not agree with them, or anyone that does not concern themselves with the same religious for format, that they are somehow doing God a favor and bringing to the world a justice. But the Bible says that is not the trick. That is not the solution. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, someone could say, well, that's not true. The humans are wrestling against flesh and blood all the time. But the pronoun we is exclusive. It's representing a, a pearl of syndicate mentalities who have been washed in the blood of the knowledge of God, in the blood life of God, the living life of Jesus. And are transassimilating that experience, not from the standpoint of, of the death on the cross, but on the standpoint of the life before the cross and the life after the resurrection, not taking away anything from the cross, not taking away anything from the tomb, but ascertaining that while Jesus was on the cross, there were two applications. One, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then he took that statement all of the way down to upper Hades, which is lower paradise. And there, according to the book of Peter, he preached to the individuals who were once disobedient during the time of the flood of Noah and the ark. 
So we are dealing today with the people that are alive to hear this word now. The other ministry is a, is a different ministry of descending down into the depths. But now we are ministering on the level of life that is inspired as it is inspired to live the right now of time. So we, the pronoun, wrestle not against flesh and blood, are those of a select number. But against principalities and against powers, that doesn't mean that then it's okay for others to do the war against the flesh and blood. But what it means is it is not the highest order. There is God's will that is permissible, and there is God's will that is the ultimate perfect. And there are the three different levels, the 30, the 60, the 100-fold. And then there is the super level. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's where the war is. The principalities against principalities. Also abbreviated to be princes. And the war is against the darkness, and the darkness is against the light. And there is a war over the high places. For Lucifer said, I will ascend to the, over the stars of the heavens. I will be over them. So the war is the high places. We're not just talking about the little mountain heights where they put up their, their pagan worship centers. There was a much deeper meaning, far beyond the symbolic metaphorical. Well, let's go back a ways. When that scroll of density met perturbation and was exploded like the Big Bang out into the forever lands of space. There was something that was still innate within that debris that debris that was flinging out, that would become atoms and molecules and, and stars and planets and many other kinds of starry, heavenly, episodic materializations. But within everything that exists, we know there is the sound tron. described in the book of Psalms. And we must never try to get away from it. For that scripture in the 19th Psalm says, The heavens declare the glory of God, 
and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night shows his, shows his knowledge. There is no speech, nor language, where their voice is not heard. The line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he hath set a tabernacle of the sun, which is as the bridegroom, coming out of the chamber and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heavens, and his circuits unto the ends thereof. There is nothing, nothing hid from the heat thereof. But there is also a thing called good and bad sin tone. S-Y-N-T-O-N-E-S. And this as it explains it in Micah, called the residue of spirit, is not only carried with spirits that transcend from the physical realm, but there is a debris of that spiritual vibration that is remaining in the, the high-density resolution of the former universe. As well, there are also things called energy dots, which is a different kind of density resolution. But that density dot re records the life of the universe. And the life of every universe is in every new universe, in energy dots. But in addition to that, there is syntone spelled S-Y-N-T-O-N-E. And this is the good and bad vibrations of impetition. And it is in everything, just like the Soundtron. So some people have more good sin tone than other people. Some people have more bad sin tone than other people. There is an attraction force through the process of emerging of the births of people and the differentiation is quite important but too difficult to explain right now for the time it would take. But the sin tone is out there. It is everywhere. And some people have sin tone that is very impetitious to them. This manifest revelation deals with the lattices, both of the spiritual nature and the physical nature, and how to change those lattices, and how to rebirth a change in DNA. And it, it makes a wish. May the blazing sin-tone fires of the Holy Spirit always anoint you to walk the paths of good and right decisions. May your mind come to know the power and the majesty of the Holy Manifest, of God to the height of his splendor and his glory. And so, now here we are. Interpretation of the Lost Book of the Wars of the Gods. 
Moses in his meeting at the bush. This is before Exodus. This is before Moses is really anointed for the ministry that he was born for and saved alive in the little ark that floated in the waters and was found by the princess of Egypt, daughter of the Pharaoh. This is the revelation to Moses, similar to the pattern revealed to David by the Spirit. First Chronicles 28, 11 through 19. This is the revelation to Moses of a plan of a divine escort of angels to go before a people and to bring them into a plan which was the well of God. And Jesus, knowing that there would be things that would be lost due to sin and rebellion, speaks of a lump, like a lump of clay that you would make items out of. Vessels, shall we say. Vessels representing persons. And he said, if the lump is holy, then all the parts, the fragments, are also holy. And then we know that if the book of the wars is lost, that there does remain in the book the book which is the lump. There does remain parts, fragments, that are holy as the lump is holy. Fragments that have a kind of DNA in them which reveals the whole of the lump, which has by the DNA the whole story in a compressed way that the lump has. And so the manifester is called to go into the Bible and to find those fragments and to give the interpretation, not to just read the book as it was in his, his represented uh, original state that needed to be interpreted, but just to go right straight into the interpretation. So people have the, the mesh of reality that has to do with the purpose of that book. And this is called, in the Hebrew, akava, which means solution to riddles. So it is a beautiful moment that we are in here. And it is a time of a greater life and a greater light. And it is a time in which the Bible says, said through one of the, the New Testament men of God, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Truly and honestly, that is right.
And that is what we are dealing with here as we talk about Lucifer. And we have shown how that in time to come, he will take on a physical body. He has not taken on a physical body at this time. But he deals by possessing entities that have familiar spirits. But one day he will become what's called the Cosmocrator. C-O-S-M-O-K-R-A-T-O-R. Which in Strong's Greek Dictionary, number 2888, means world ruler. That day is coming. But there's a lot going on right now. And we're going to deal with that. And in Revelation 22, 16, it says, I, Jesus, sent my angels into the churches. The message that was to be known was to be known to the churches. And it is a, a Bible revelation that Jesus left and gave a signature of his word on. In 22.16, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And that's the message of this day and the message that Jesus left in the book of Revelations with all those intricate, incredible revelations that were to be brought out, of which for eons of time the earthly kingdoms of people of this world have not understood. We know a Revelations 11.15, that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of God at that particular time of, of Revelations described in 11.15, which verifies that up until that moment, the kingdoms of this world have been in the hand clutch of Lucifer, Satan. One day they will be returned to Christ. We have shown how Lucifer it has co-owned cherubs, and there is a large number of them. We have shown how that um, there are foundations laid symbolically, metaphorically, that are to reveal a whole generation of genetic emergence. Jesus wanting people to really understand about this power of Lucifer, Satan, that has been employed and that has been planted into all humans. Describes the parable of the tares in Matthew 13, verse 20, verse 37 through 39. And in Genesis 6, the Nephilim, the ones who have fallen. And he tells us in Matthew 13, 
that these were sown in the wheat field, the people of the world among it, by the children of the devil. But the Bible tells us, I want you to be able to give an answer to all men, to all persons, to all humans. We are to know this information. We understand in Ezekiel 16, 5 through 6, that the baby Adam was born by Euphrates Hedekel parents. And they had, they were soulless people. And their, their blood was polluted. But when they gave birth to the baby Adam, his blood was also polluted. And so today are all humans polluted. And this has to do with with many different things. As I shared with you, it has to do with sin tones. It has to do with impetition. The Bible describes this biological, genetic input that we live with. Psalms 51.5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Revelations 3.23, for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans that man brought that the that the man Adam brought sin into the world, so that his job began began to be to manifest the sin that the Ophanims had before they ever came as fallen entities into this world and fell into the the matter density of human bodies and began to live in, in the land of forgetfulness, not remembering who they once were. And so in uh, Romans, rather, 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10, it's written, There is none righteous, not one. Romans Seven, and it's talking to those that fell. <clears throat> Jesus Christ never fell. Romans 7, 18, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Romans seven twenty one. when I would do evil, when I would do good, evil is present with me. Romans 7, uh, that was Romans seven twenty one. Romans seven twenty three. I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Romans 7.24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Romans 8.8, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8.3, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Romans 8.8, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. First Corinthians fifteen forty four. There is a natural body. There is a spiritual body. First Corinthians fifteen fifty. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Corinthians fifteen fifty six. For the sin, for the sting of death is sin. 
1 Corinthians 15:49 but as we have borne the image of the earthly we shall also bear the image of the heavenly 1 Corinthians 15:47 the first man is of the earth earthly the second man is from heaven I'm going to go on this 5 minute break now Janet Lee is going to come and play God bless you
Again, thank you, Janet Lee. Absolutely beautiful. And here we go, folks. Pick up right where I left off. 1 Corinthians 15.45, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man, Adam, was a quickening spirit. Romans 8.19, For the earnest expectation of the creature of the creature waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. For the creature, mankind, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that hath them subjected the same in hope. This is the story right there in Romans 8.20 and 8.19 of how that there's an earnest expectation for the fallen Ophanim who are as creatures of the earth now, waiting for the manifestation of the, of the sons and the daughters of God. Because for the, the causation, the creature, humankind, was made subject to vanity, not willingly. People did not want, the angels did not want to come down and take bodies because they knew they would lose their memories. Not willingly, but by reason of him, by reason of Yavio, who subjected the same in hope. 821, because the creature itself shall also be delivered from the bondage of corruption, the sinful flesh, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And listen to this one, 829 of Romans. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate it. He not only foreknew them, but he also, which is a, a second work, a second action, he foreknew them and he predestinated them. He didn't know them by predestination. He foreknew them, and then he also predestinated them as a second work. So people that try to say, oh, well, he just foreknew us, foreknew us by predestination, that is not Bible. He did foreknow us, and he also did predestinate us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's transassimilation. Become conformed to the image of his son, that's in Romans eight twenty nine. That he might be firstborn among many brethren, and this is the gospel of the firstborn church. And I'm not talking of any earthly church by that name. I'm talking about something very spiritual in heaven. That's that's there is a promise and a covenant. Romans four eight, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Romans eight twenty four twenty five, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So this is being saved by grace, being converted, but not saved with the, the explicit meaning of totality. And that is why Jesus said, you must endure unto the end to be saved. And so, Let's go on. Romans five twelve through twenty one. I'll read. I'll read part of this anyway. The sons of the God angels, following Lucifer's advice, left their assigned habitation, thereby committing transgressions. The Bible says in the book of Jude that the the angels left. They 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 left their habitation. And they therefore transgressed against their own angelic codes. We're in Romans again, five twelve through twenty one. 
When after some period of time they could not reconcile their error, they were forbidden by Michael the Archangel to remain within the realm of the higher accelerations. Descending from glory, they plummeted down to terrestrial abodes. They are fallen from the glory of their first estate. They moved from their first estate. You see that in Jude. Like wandering, star, wandering stars, they search the dimensions to find a quotum, Q-U-O-T-U-M, not quantum, quotum, a resolution for their distress. So great was their wound that not one crystal lattice of creation was left unsearched. So desperate was their fear of the separation. They amused themselves in observation of the brute beast of creation to find relief from the dark regressions of their catapulting fall. They could not endure the thought that they would become like unto brute beasts of whom they were amused. But they that would be saved knew that they must. And the Bible says in Ephesians, or pardon me, in Ecclesiastes, that man knows not that he is likened to a, a beast. And he is a beast. But they that would be saved knew they must. And when they became likened to them, they could not remember. They were not always beasts, but they wandered in human forms. Knowing not who they were, driven by the physical instincts of the flesh, the heavens were filled with the wailings of their, their seraphim and cherubim companions, who prayed mightily for the sons of God that their fall to dust would end. Then was born Adam, whose faith pierced the veil of darkness, inasmuch that rays of light could be seen. Thus the light of God came into his being, and at birth he became the first man-child with a spirit soul. All humans have body souls, even animals have body souls, but a spirit soul is something that is eternal, not earthly, and it is an, a spiritual inheritance. Therefore, by becoming the father of the soul birthright, the promise of sonship was restored. For Adam, being found worthy, bare the sins of his brothers in his flesh, making them heirs of their prior righteousness. The scale of history would show Adam and Eve only moments away from that precious rendezvous when they would taste of the holy sacraments of eternal life, the fruit of the tree of the everlasting word of life. But then came the occasion whereby Eve, the wife of Adam, was deceived by the wicked one. Adam, rushing in to where seraphims dared not to tread, partook also of that dreaded knowledge, if by any means he might save his wife and procure her, procure her safety, thus taking upon himself her sin. Romans 5, 12-21 Death passed on all men, for all had sinned previous all had sinned wherefore by one man's sin entered into the world into the planet earth all the sin that was already there that happened because of the war in heaven chapter 12 of revelations verse 7 became the code of conduct that was not yet made into law 
Death reigned from Adam to Moses, verse 14, even though sin was not imputed against him. Therefore, it is clear that it was not because of personal sin or transgression of Adam that death came upon, a, uh, upon all mankind, but that he, Adam, was rather a type and a figure of Jesus Christ that was to come. Verse 15, by decree, one man, Adam, was made to know sin and therefore to taste death that many through the seed would also taste death, that sin might appear for what it's working, for what it is working, the consequences of death toward, the hope of life, Romans 7.13. Although the offense of sin is, is in essence opposite to the free gift, yet it was given for the good of man, Romans 7.13, Romans 5.20, as was also the free gift. Thus, through Jesus Christ, came greater grace that many should abound to life. Wow. And there's much more that could be said there on the story, but we've got to keep moving. So Ezekiel is told by God to go and search out a truth that had been occurring in a secret place, unknown to the general public. And he went down, he dug down into a place, and he found this wall down into a deep area of the earth. And God basically told, they told him, break through this wall. I want you to go inside and see what's going on. And he broke a hole through the wall. And when he got inside, he saw women weeping for Tammuz. And there's a story we'll get into on Tammuz. And we begin to see that Tammuz, another name for Nimrod, that even all the way from the Genesis episodes to the book of Ezekiel, this thing of Nimrod is still alive. It still has cognizance. And we know on this revelation to Moses, that one of the things that is revealed is a genetic war. And when we read it in the book of Exodus, it is nothing less than amazing. We know of no, no plants anywhere on the earth, no substance anywhere on the earth that has a, a similar um, you know, a, a genetic uh, effect uh, in in plants or or anything else of that nature, so we can read it uh, in the sixteenth chapter of Exodus and uh, verse fourteen. And when the dew lay upon when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing as small as the hoarfrost of the ground, or on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. And this is the thing which the Lord hath commanded, Gather of every man according to his eating, an omer for every man, According to the number of your persons, take ye every man for them which are in the tent, his tents. 
And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. And when they did did uh, meet it with an omer, he that gathered uh, much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, Let no man leave it, it till morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wrought with them. The This manna had a genetic code. It had to be eaten on the day for which it was gathered. If not, it would breed worms. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said to them, This is that which the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the rest day, the rest of the uh, rest for the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today, and seethe that ye will seethe, and that which remains over lay up for you until the next morning. And they lay it up till the next morning as Moses bade, bade and uh, uh, are advised, and it did not stink, neither was there any worms. Now, normally, if they would say pick up this, this manna on Tuesday and kept some of it over till Wednesday, it would, it would get worms. But if they did that, where they were getting the double portions and holding over for the Sabbath, it would have a totally different reaction. It would not, it would not uh, stink and it would not uh, grow worms. And they were told, don't go out on the Sabbath day to, to gather this manna because it will not appear anywhere. It will not be there. Well, they didn't believe that. Why, why would it appear every day of the week and not be there on, on the Sabbath? Well, some went out, and sure enough, there was nothing there. So this was genetic influence. And, and the Bible says that it was called angel, angel food. And now angel food is food. Uh, uh, scripture is in the book of Psalms. And so one of the things that has to do with this war of the angels is a, a genetic war. And, and we see that in the 13th chapter of, of um, Matthew where there is this genetic war of the, 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 the devil angels implanting the tares uh, into the wheat fields, into the people. So there is a genetic war, and and uh, this is something that Satan did when he was still in control on the fifth day of, of creation, the longest day of creation. And there is a thing in films and and various things with the in the computer world called morphine. And that's where something is changed from one appearance and it just begins to to atomically or we could say metamorphically uh, f feed into a different appearance. 
Well, this thing with metamorphism, metamorphism, uh, it was going on way, way back in the Bible. The, the, the angels are advanced. They're way, way, way ahead of anything that is happening on earth uh, in the past or even now. And, and uh, so we're going to see this uh, metaphoric thing, which, which um, you know, is also connected to the genetic changes. And uh, in the spiritual side, uh, uh, it instead of causing, being called morphine, was more along the line of transfiguration, a beautiful name. And, and, uh, and we can see that in the Garden of Eden, there are all kinds of things that, that lead up to that ideology of, of the, the, the different kinds of metamorphoses and the different kinds of transfigurations. Uh, hopefully we will get into some of that, uh, you know, as we begin to see the the plan uh, of of God, you know. Uh, we know that, that when um, the children of Israel finally got out of Egypt after the occasions of all the signs and the wonders, that uh, they got to the Red Sea uh, side, or the Sea of Weeds, whichever you want to call it, and... Uh, there came the armies of, of Pharaoh. And um, some people say, you know, the, sea, the, 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 the Red Sea actually means the, the uh, Sea of Weeds. And, uh, you know, no doubt, uh, you know, they, they could just walk across that. I mean, it didn't have to dry up because it was just a, a shallow place. And, uh, of course, that, that's just a lot of balarkey because the... Uh, uh, the whole story would just be a mist then because the Pharaoh's army could not have drowned it uh, in, in you know, the, the Sea of Weeds unless the Sea of Weeds also had quite a, quite a body of water. So uh, we go on. We know that at that point where they were waiting to get across and it looked like that Pharaoh's army had caught up with them, that something divine happened, that a pillar of cloud, which was something the children of Israel were familiar with, because it would lead the way day and night as to what direction they were to go. So, you know, it wasn't like Moses, who had been to Midian, uh, was saying, look, I've been this way before, here's how you go, here's what you do. But basically, there was a cloud over them. Now, this cloud is more than just, you know, a cumulus uh, collection of moisture. Uh, this cloud, you know, was uh, an array of ziths, and uh, these were spiritual transport ships of of the uh, the angels, and um, uh, they were surrounded by a shekinah glory, and and because of that shekinah glory, uh, they were deemed to be a, a just a cloud, but the kind of cloud they were was quite different from anything else. And they led the way both day and night. Now, um, the Bible tells us in Exodus, uh, tells us that story in Exodus 13.21, and in Exodus 14.19, it, it specifically says, the angel of the Lord went before them. Oh, how many people there are today in the church world, in the believing world, in the seeking God world, that would like to have that sentence applicable to them 
and the angel of the Lord went before them. How many people I talk to from day to day, uh, from week to week, month to month, year to year, that are seeking uh, to find how to get out of the lost maze, that are trying to know for sure what the will of God is. How they would love to be able to say, well, the angel of the Lord went before me and showed me the way to go and showed me what decisions to make. It's a beautiful thing. Revelations fourteen nineteen. Now, when, this, when the Israel uh, was approached by uh, the army of Pharaoh with their marching soldiers and their chariots, it terrified Israel. And they said, wasn't there enough burial places in Egypt? Did we need to come out here to be killed and buried? And Moses said, you need to just stand by and wait on the glory of God. Don't make any prejudgments. Cast your fear out. God is going to take care of us. And these angels made it so that their cluster of Ziths, surrounded by this Shekinah glory, emanated light. But there is a scripture in the Bible that says that light can be turned into darkness. So they could turn the light that would have given the army of Pharaoh a clear view way to come against Israel before they got into the, to the crossing of the Red Sea. But this aura cluster emanated on the side where they were parked, darkness, such a thick darkness that they could not see to attack Israel. You talk about the war of the Lord, of the lords of the gods. You talk about the incredibility of the angel of the Lord going before the people. This is the book of the war of the gods. This is a book that is lost today because People are not believing, they're not receiving, they are not accepting that this can still happen in this moment, in this day. And they believe that, you know, that they just sort of have to depend on the, on the, the written word. But the Bible tells us that the law without the spirit is dead. And people don't understand that you can read this whole Bible a thousand times and without the Holy Spirit initiating an anointing on it, it's a dead word. It is not a living word. So it is this living word of the Holy Spirit that makes the word alive. And so we are dealing with this manifested word because when the word is brought to light, it is brought to a living sensation. And that is the beauty and the glory. There were so many incredible things. The Bible tells us that when the children of Israel 
did make it across the Red Sea. And the waters were held back. All done by the power of angels. All made to happen. You know, in the science world today, there are some individuals, especially one particular person out of Japan who wrote a book about water. Very interesting. It was sent to me by a brother. And it, it tells how that water has a special kind of memory. And we know that in the beginning of the book of Genesis, it talks about that life began in the waters. The creature that, has, that, that moveth, that, that life began in the waters. So waters are like breath, like oxygen. You know, they have a signature. They have a reality. And when you really get into the, the understanding that an angel has reached such a high degree of mental acuity, and spiritual aura expression that it can speak to the elements and there doesn't have to be some voice i mean yes there could be an exhaust come from a zith facing each opposite direction to hold back the waters but actually we could take you beyond the 30-fold explanation and we could tell you that the word could be spoken to that to the molecules of that water and say do not flow stand up on end one molecule upon the other and hold and do not move and those molecules of water would obey it because that's how advanced the potential of knowing the how to do these kind of things is and and how incredible that the wars of the gods really were because they involved such incredibility so when the bible tells us in revelations chapter 12 verse 7 and there was war in heaven that war was of a very high universal degree and it was of such a nature that it was advanced beyond anything that the dust critters on this planet have ever known. And only, of course, do the angels that visit here and the ophanims that are bound in a lost memory state have a knowledge of that. But the creatures of the earth that are just brute beast creatures, they have no knowledge. And the humans in mortal bodies, which are remnant expressions of the four rivers, the four genetic rivers described in the book of Genesis, have no knowledge except as it would be revealed by the angels. And so everything that is meant to be moves on. And even during that time, when the people of, of the army of the Pharaoh began to have the darkness lifted and they could see 
a dry pathway through the Red Sea and understood that Israel had passed. They rushed in there. And someone says, oh, I'll bet you that there was mud and it stuck. I don't think there was any mud. The Bible says it was dry. And and, and these, these army soldiers and army captains, they weren't stupid. You know, they, they would know whether they could go into an area if it was all mucky uh, mud and know how dangerous that would be. It was dry. But something happened that I've never heard of it ever happening before. In verse 25, it says that the angels of God took off the wheels of the cherubs, of the chariots. Now, imagine these wheels rolling and moving and spinning and fastened on there the way that they fastened them. How did they get to them to unfasten all that special kind of incredible tie method and, and glues or any of the things that they used? Well, it's molecular diversions. It's being able to speak specifically to a, a, a particular area and to speak to those atoms and to those, those molecules and to give them directions to say to those molecules that are making some kind of a tie rod to make to speak to those uh, uh, molecules that are, are that form some kind of a glue and saying to them specifically representing a certain designated area say like the wheel area to dematerialize they didn't have to go over there with some kind of a hook or some kind of a force and, and rake them off. They just speak to the elements. That was the difference of the war of the gods. They could speak to the elements, speak to the bug creatures, the insect creatures, and they would obey those commands because they cannot resist to not obey them. And so, war of angels is not where an angel goes out and wars with another angel. That might have happened once, being initiated by a man who, who wrestled with an angel. But generally speaking, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. But the war is with principalities and, and, and powers of principalities. And it's against the darkness and the light. It's an equation to take control of the proportion that is to be divine and the proportion that is to be anti-divine. And to be able to speak. And so going before it is so important. Well, you know, the people of that left Egypt, that was a mixed multitude, but the Jews were there. They couldn't get it. They wanted to go to war. They wanted to go out 
and pillage and kill and rape. They wanted to do that. Even though God said, be obedient to me and I will send the angel before you. And there's another scripture which I'll give you later if I have the time. He said, I will send hornets before you. Now imagine that. Imagine a city considered to be the enemy with powerful armies. And imagine a a insect flood of hornets that were like locusts in numbers coming upon a city. Can you imagine how that everything would stop? How that everyone would flee? The fear, the trembling? And wonder if those hornets just hung around and they would not leave. And people could not go out and work. And their animals were all dead because of being stung by the hornets. And other people that tried to go out were also stung and killed. Till finally they just felt that the hornets had taken over that city. And they weren't going to leave. And they could see their nest everywhere. And nest is just another term. Not what they usually use that term for bees. And, but they could see their hives, if we want to call it that. And they decided, we just got to get out of here. And then the bees, or the hornets, pursued them. Just back far enough to make them keep moving until they just plain left the area. And that's what can happen when you obey the scripture of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Wrestle not with flesh and blood. The wars the powers and the principalities of light and darkness. Let us war. Don't you do it. Let us war. There's still people that can't get that message today in the church world. There's pastors and ministers and people standing up and, and telling their people to get ready for a revolution, to take up arms, to be ready to kill whoever you need to kill. They can't get the message. You can't, in a human mortal body, take the place of God or gods. The only way that you can have power over the gods is if a greater God is in you, going before you then by the dynamics of that word, by the dynamics of that, of that presence, you can do these things. And it's beautiful. 
It's beautiful. Well, you know, I'm not even hardly getting started. And I see I'm already running out of time, so there's no way I'm going to finish this today. But I will tell you this, in First Chronicles 21.1, it says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now, Satan knew, and even some of the, the human persons knew, that were leaders, but David did not agree, knew that it was not God's plan, not God's will to number Israel. Because to number Israel was to say like, well, we're depending on our numbers and our strength. We've got enough people, we can defeat the enemy. Totally forgetting the miracle power of God. There are people today that give in and decide to go ahead and die. Totally forgetting the miracle power of God. There are people today that are not getting their healing because they are not given first essence and first respect to the word of God. God will heal you. And if you stand by your healing and stand by the promise, God will extend your life too. He'll give you long life. It's a promise of the word of God. You can have all these things. Quit living in the lost book of the wars, of the gods. Quit living in that lost book. The book that you can't remember, can't know. The story of how the angels of God were, were meant by God to go before us to lead us, to guide us, to show us the ways. Today you mention angels. Oh, they don't even want you in the regular churches if you're going to be talking about angels, except the story in the story of Jesus and a few other minor places. But the angels are still, still the same. Jesus said, and I read it to you, I have sent my angel into the church. This is a ministry of angels. This is a ministry of, of gods. These, these angels are gods. They're not the God, the eternal, ultimate God, but they're gods of which the Bible says that we as fallen angels are gods because we were him. This lost book has to be restored. This lost book has to come into manifest realization. This lost book has to become an empowering to the Christian world. And again, there must be people stand up and lead the hooray to God and the cheer to God who will send his angels before us and who will lighten the way, whether it's light or not. 
It does not mean as it speaks of in the book of Revel of in the book of the Old Testament that we might have to pass through a horrible wilderness. It does not mean that. But what it does mean is that he will lead and he will guide us all the way. Until we decide to do something ourselves, like even Moses, as great as he was, did. The people hung, they, they were so thirsty and they were so angry at Moses because of their thirst. And God said, now I want you to show them my glory. And I want you to go out and go before this rock and speak to it. And Moses let his anger get in the way, just like people do with, with each other all the time, and do religiously. And they think it's all right. And instead of speaking to the rock, which was so important, because it would have, it would have imbued something, it would have, given, it would have made a story so wonderful, and it would have glorified God to speak to the rock and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Release your waters and quench the thirst of Israel. And the waters would have begun to come out of the rock. But instead, Moses was angry, and he took his rod and he hit the rock. Well, the waters came. It, it can come that way. But it wasn't the beauty, it wasn't the glory, it wasn't the holy holiness. It wasn't the plan of God. And there was something tremendously missed for the glory of God and the revelation of the war of the gods. How that you can speak. And how that, in additionally, to the angels speaking these things, that if it is revealed to you, there are words, there are constructions of, of sentences of words, that if it's revealed to you by the Holy Ghost, you can equally have that capability to speak to the rock, and the elements will obey you, just as they obey the angels. That's the real war of the gods, that... God is translating to you now, interpreting to you now, so that you can understand. And Satan stood up. He's involved. He's involved. He stood up against Israel. And he provoked David. There's the war. And David got caught up in the hook of Satan's proclamations, his provoking. And he began to have Israel numbered, and it caused a huge death to a lot of people. But there's something interesting. In 2 Samuel 24, 1, Verses 1 Chronicles 21.1, there's another story. And it says it differently. And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved 
David against them and said, Go number the children of, of Judah. So on the one scripture, 1 Corinthians 21.1, Satan is given that job. On the other scripture, 2 Samuel 24.1, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital O, capital R, capital D, which means Yah, Yahweh, or Yahweh, Now, because Lucifer was still called the morning star, it could be said that Lucifer was also called the Lord. And even the L, capital O, capital R, capital D would have an, an essence of attachment to that type, to that type uh, given uh word, son of the morning, so that as representing that still, because he hasn't gone through the, the white throne judgment, it could be said that in both places it represented Satan. And I have expounded that view as a revelation of a, of a 30-fold type of insight. But if we were to take it on another plane, we could say that here was both forces, the forces of darkness, the Satan, as represented in First Chronicles 21.1, and the forces of, of the Lord, as represented in Second Samuel 24.15. And they were warring against one another. Warring. And David himself says, I don't want to be put in the hands of my enemies. I don't want these awful plagues to come. Just let me be put in the hands of God, whatever happens. I want to be put in the hands of God. And that was almost like saying there was a choice between the two. Well, we know that there is a very interesting thing. Um, and let me, let me make sure I gave you the right scriptures for the two, the two, the, the Satan and the Lord. First Chronicles 21.1 and Satan stood up and Second Chronicles 24.1. I think I, I, I read to you later about a different uh, uh, verse 15. Then we also find that there is this story about the the scapegoat, and uh, this is in Leviticus sixteen and verse five, verse seven through ten, and verse twenty-one through twenty-two. I won't have time to read it today, but I will come, Lord willing. We'll come back next week and we'll we'll finish some of this. But there was sin that went on during this time with Moses. And so it was a serious sin. And even two of Aaron's children had been in this disobedience in which they had been trying to do, uh, you know, um, the sacred things a little different way, using different kind 
of, of, of anointing oil. And they, and they lost their lives by doing it. So it was a very serious time. And God said, go and choose two goats. And take these two goats before the Urim and Thummim. And the Urim and Thummim will tell you which one of these goats is, be to, is to be used as a scapegoat. And, and the word was Azael. Azael. It's got the word L on it, which is Elohim. It's, it's, a Eloah. it's not Eloah, but Elohim. It means a god. And this was a demonic god. And it was to be taken out and become the sacrifice, the, the scapegoat, to bear the sins. And I'm bringing this to an end. And so when the Yerman Thummim was done, it doesn't fall on the good goat. That is to become a sacrifice in a good way. But it falls on this, this goat that had a familiar spirit. The other goat didn't have a familiar spirit, but this goat did. And the familiar spirit was a demon called Azael. And it was in that goat. It says, now this, is, this, this animal here, it's the one that you are to take. And you are to find a special fit man to take this goat far out into the wilderness and far out to Mount Tenesari and let it go that it may bear the sins of this people. And it had a familiar spirit. And so there we have again the forces of good and evil, even in the animal world, are represented for a very, very important decisive kind of thing that has to do with keeping the road straight and narrow for the children of God and keeping them out of the diversified things that can lead them away from the will of God and can cause the true story of the book of the wars to be lost. So that they will start trying to solve problems and riddles by their own flesh and by their own minds and by their own deeds and lose all of the glory and the undergirding and underpinning of the power of the living God. Oh my God. It's going on today. Now has come the manifester to open this lost book. And I can't finish it today. I have to come back next week. We love you so much. Our Father in heaven, bless these listeners today. Love them. Bless them. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Until next time. Amen.